Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It is good to be back into the normal swing of things. An exciting show today. Quick look back at Beijing. Look back at Tokyo. Look ahead at Shanghai. Quarter-by-quarter preview. And then, of course, in the end, comment response. The first time since the Monday after the U.S. Open. That 45-minute mega show that... I don't even know if I should plug it because if if you're watching this video, you probably watched that one. But um, that was the Monday after the Medvedev Nadal final. Uh, we haven't we haven't caught up, haven't talked to the people since that faithful Monday. So uh, I'm looking forward to to getting back into it. But first, of course, uh, let's talk about uh, last week, as we do. I have some Guatemalan iced coffee. The logo is back. There it is. It was lost. I lost the logo. I didn't know where the file was, but we found it. So that's good news. Big, big news. Big news for the show. Um, but without further ado, I want to start with uh, Beijing. Team over Tsitsipas in the final. I'm going to try to take the score off the top of my head. It was something like 3 6. Um, six, four, six, one, <laughs> something like that. This is classic. This is classic that I don't have the score in front of me. Um, but, uh, essentially this was a really big week for team, especially just based on, on the kind of summer that he had and, and the, the, the letdown that it was. And really what happened was he got sick, fell ill, starting with Montreal, uh, missed Cincinnati, came back and for the U.S. Open, and it seemed like, you know, he still just wasn't ready, and it, it completely destroyed his summer. He had a virus, uh, probably one or two weeks off the court, not training, and uh, there's really no recovering from that. But for some reason, I I kept reading that the the Indian Wells Dominic team was a fluke. I kept reading on on Twitter namely that the the hard court prowess of Dominic team was was just a tease that it wasn't real that he was still the same clay court specialist from years past. And this this win was one step. I don't know if it completely sealed the deal on that on that narrative. 
uh, which I I'm ne which I'm not on board with at all. But at least it took a step in in um, contradicting the narrative that Dominic Team is not a changed man, the changed man that I believe him to be. I feel like we continue to see positive steps in Dominic Team's development, and this match was another manifestation of of those steps. The the number one thing that stuck out was Team's net play. Um, it's the most I've ever seen Dominic Team go to the net. And what I saw in this match as a whole was a lot of the things that Nicholas Masu was working with him pre-Wimbledon, which is probably going to be the same kind of things that Masu wants him to do on a fast on on indoor hard courts. Now this court isn't as fast as Shanghai, you know, none of these courts are as fast as Shanghai, which is lightning. But uh still what we saw from team was um a lot of taking time away and hitting down the line and then going to the net. And that's the same, you know, the the cross court and lines drills that I that I was watching team um train before Wimbledon was was precisely that. It was conventional shot selection of defending and trading cross court, then, you know, moving diagonally to short balls, taking time away, cutting it off, playing those balls down the line, uh, making sure you don't go down the line too early. Don't you, you you know you don't lose patience. You know, that's gonna that's gonna create errors. So safe shot selection. And and using using power using his power to his advantage, right? So he doesn't need to mix it up that much. He can go safe cross court because he can because that's how big he hits. But then picking his spots, go down the line, taking time away, coming to the net, and volleying short in the court is something are all things that I saw at team drilling pre Wimbledon and all all things that I saw in this match against Titipas. Mixing in serve volley, the biggest point of the match, team serve volleyed. How about that? That's craziness. That's unbelievable. Break point, down a set, serving at 4-all, 30-40, team serve volleys. Um, Tsitsipas was playing kind of far back. He wanted to give himself some time. But Stefanos did pretty well to get the ball low and force team to hit a half volley on his backhand. But he hit a beautiful drop volley off, um, off the half volley. By the way, that's something that doesn't ring in the vernacular of tennis. Is it a half drop volley? Uh, uh, a drop, a half volley drop volley? I mean, that doesn't sound good at all. We need a name for this. Maybe I'm just crazy, and I'm not, and I'm not thinking of the the best way to say it. But regardless, team hits both a half volley and a drop volley in one shot um, on the backhand, and it's a uh, it's a clean winner. Hits an ace on the next point, um, and then, then on the on the very next point, he does something that I, in my opinion, was another thing that turned the match for him. And that's uh, he he hit a out wide serve on the ad side. The return was short, and he just ripped a down the line backhand winner on the very next ball. This is a match where Tsitsipas and team played pretty similar in the respect where they're. Baseline games revolve around finding their big forehands, and the the pattern disrupting shot is going to be the down the line backhand. Believe it or not, and you might think, oh well, the key 
to finding someone's backhand is to hit it cross court. But these guys have exceptional footwork. They're just going to find inside out forehands, inside in forehands. And their forehands are even better from their backhand side. Both of them, both of them. So the key to finding the backhand is going to be stretching them out on the forehand. And the key to that is, for the most part, going to be the backhand down the line. Um, obviously, the forehand cross court can do the same. But for the most part, the backhand down the line is going to open up the points. And team's backhand down the line was much more present in this match than Tsitsipas's backhand down the line. And that, that's a skill gap there. The other thing that team could do better than Tsitsipas is he, he's quicker and he, his explosivity was back and the combination of speed and power that team brings to the tennis court is is un, is unreal. Team hit a level in the third set, a set that he won, I think 6-1, that's a level that, you know, it's, you know, him and Stan Wawrinka with their power from the back when they get it dialed in, it's really it's really hard to counter. It's really hard to do much about. And you mix in the defense and the scrambling that team showed in this match. Uh, this this is a force to be reckoned with. But the the biggest thing that he changed, the biggest thing that he showed in this match that he hasn't really shown is again taking time away, going down the line, and coming to net. And I don't I don't mean I'm not saying those as separate entities. I'm saying that that's these are all things that are related where team was doing all of that at once, basically redirecting down the line and going to the net. And then the drop volleys also were, were impressive. And I think something that he's working hard on, it's better to go. To, it's better to go to net on faster courts because there's less time to pass plain and simple. I'm just, just to cover our bases. Let's just, let's just cover that, that it, it's easy. There's less time to pass, so it's easy. You know, approach shots are, are more effective, and you get you wind up getting easier volleys. So um, that's that's that. Team's court position was just it, he adapted. Oh, and then l let's not forget the return. So on the second serve, he moves back and he rips it, and Tsitsipas was not doing a great job of protecting his second serve. Because team was really getting good rips at it. And I feel like Tsitsipas maybe could have put a little bit more on his second serves to try to alleviate that. With that being said, I think team has an opportunity to be one of the dominant second serve uh, returners in the sport because of the power that he possesses. The real innovation is on the first serve return, where on fast courts, team has been atrocious throughout his career. Atrocious not compared to the rest of the tour, but atrocious compared to the players who he was competing with at the very top of the sport, especially his backhand return. But check this out. This is the point that won him the second set. If you're listening on, on audio, this is Dominic Team about a foot behind the baseline hitting a block return off of a first serve and just slicing it. It's, it's more so a slice return than a block return, if we're being honest. But this is the kind of return that uh, team showed that, that he has the ability to hit. And uh, something that I've covered throughout the year, that team is mixing his return position more often. But he's, he's just getting better at it. Plain and simple. He's getting better at 
mixing in on the first serve, getting better at keeping the return, keeping a stroke short. I don't think it's a tactical thing. I think he's always known that that's something that he can try to do. I think it's been technical where he, he's liter quite literally just needed to practice it because it's a different, it's a different stroke. You don't have the same technique on when you're returning an 130 mile per hour serve a foot behind the baseline as you do a regular ground stroke. It's a completely different technique. And it was a very underdeveloped technique, especially on the backhand for team. And he didn't really have that block return that, uh, for example, uh, Magnus Norman trained Stan Wawrinka to hit when Wawrinka couldn't return a serve. Meanwhile, on the other side of the net, you have a guy in Stefanos Tsitsipas who could really benefit from improving in that area. And his return was better all week in Beijing. Uh, Tsitsipas got more returns in play than, than usual, but it's still been a uh, systemic problem for Tsitsipas. Team and Tsitsipas are very similar. Um, it's just team has a little bit, you know, he's got better movement. He defends better. Um, meanwhile, Tsitsipas has a more regularly developed midcourt game, but, but team, team really matched him in this case, and it was enough for him to win the match. Djokovic in Tokyo, as we transition, absolutely wiped the floor with everyone. The shoulder seemed completely fine, uh, to say the least. He beat um, Alexis Popperin, go... Uh, how do you say this? You know, I, I even ball boyed for this guy, but I don't remember how to. And I've watched his matches. I just forget how to. Soeda, Soda, um, Go is his first name, I believe. Gao might be Gao. Soeda. I've I've literally watched his matches, but I don't remember. Um, beat Luca Pui six one six two. Beat David Gafan six three six four. Beat John Millman in the final six three six two. Looked, looked invincible. Looked like a machine. Um, there's not that much to go into with Djokovic. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is something that he said. Um, he alluded to um, emotional problems being just as part, you know, part of his physical problems. He said, quote, I feel physical injuries are only manifestations of what's happening emotionally as well. I try to look at it in a holistic way. Um, Djokovic, very private, doesn't really tell you what's going on in his life, which is, I, I, don't, I don't blame him for it, but uh, makes you wonder, how are things in, in New York, off the court? How, how is he doing emotionally? I'd say just as Nadal is fragile physically, Djokovic can be fragile emotionally, and I mean off-the-court stuff when I say that. On the court, he's not fragile emotionally. Um, but off the court, I think he can be susceptible to distractions. And um, that's that's something that I think most people who have followed Djokovic have, have observed. So uh, that had me kind of raising an eyebrow. But other than that, there's not much to talk about other than uh, Djokovic didn't need sh didn't need shoulder surgery and I, I don't know why this this rumor was was happening uh, after the US Open and I don't know where it came from or how credible it ever was but some people were talking about well Djokovic need needs shoulder surgery but he avoids surgery 
He comes back pretty quickly. He didn't need to play Tokyo, and I wonder if part of him playing Tokyo is him gearing up for uh, the Olympics next year and wanting to get used to the venue, knowing what to expect. Um, I think that might have been a part of it because I think I think he wants to win these these Olympics coming up in 2020, understandably. So uh, I wonder how big a part of that was. But he didn't really need to play this tournament. He does. He looks great. Uh, all, all good. All positive for Novak Djokovic. So without further ado, we go to Shanghai. Why not take a look at the thumbnail while we're at it? There it is up on the screen. Shanghai is one of the faster courts in tennis. Might be the fastest court in tennis. Besides some of the weird, I don't know, some of the smaller grass court events before Wimbledon. Maybe the, you know, the Hall of Fame grass court event. That's lightning. But uh, very fast. And this is a time of year where things can get pretty unpredictable. Some people are, some players are more motivated than others. Some players are more healthy than others. And we tend to see some weird things happening. Grigor Dimitrov, Jack Sock, made runs in 2018 at this time of year that led us to believe that they were going to be big factors um, in the beginning of, or do I have my years wrong? Regardless, Grigor Dimitrov, yes, this was two years ago, not last year. Two years ago, Grigor Dimitrov made, made a run at the World Tour Finals that led us to believe that he was going to have an, an awesome 2018, and he had the opposite of that. Stefano Tsitsipas had a run, or excuse me, Alexander Zverev won the World Tour Finals around this time of year. Not really, mo a month, two months ahead of this, but um, led us to believe he was going to have a huge year this year. Karen Hatchinov won Paris. Didn't really take that momentum and bring it into this year. He hasn't competed really for a Masters 1000 title uh, since in any, in any real, you know, substantial way. You know, weird things tend to happen. Weird things tend to happen. Let's start with Djokovic's quarter. Top seeds, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Monfils, and Isner. Um, this is pretty, this is kind of an entertaining quarter. There's a lot of, there's a lot of matchups I like here. Um, Isner draws Alex Dimonor in the first round. I'd watch out for Dimonor. I, I reiterate that he is built for courts that are at the high end of surface speed, just like this one. His game is built for a court like this, a hard court, especially fast, hard courts is that, that, that's where you have to watch out for Dimonor. Um, Isner overseas. I, I don't know if he's ever really made noise this time of year. Plus, Isner had a – did he not have a, another child? Uh, I believe he did. So so that could be distracting for John Isner um, at this time of year. So um, that that's a couple of things to uh, to think about. So that's why Dark Horse, Demonor, Upset Alert, John Isner. Uh, I do think that Tsitsipas, who – by the way, I mean this was a big, big week for uh, for Stefanos as well last week because he had won, lost I think five out of his last six match matches. Um, 
he seems to be in in better form after last week. So I think he makes the quarterfinal, but I don't really see him giving uh, Djokovic uh, too much trouble. Early popcorn, though. Tsitsipas, maybe against Bublik or FAA. Bublik, incredibly entertaining. Felix um, is is always someone who we have our eye on, who needs to sort out his uh, second serve issues right now. And seem to be that they seem to that those issues seem to be bleeding into the rest of his game at the moment. Um, but nonetheless, intriguing to see if if he can right the ship. Let's see if I'm missing anything as I pull up the draw. Uh, Shapovalov beat Francis Tiafo rather easily. Tiafo has been fading this year, and uh, my prediction that that Fritz is gonna be a, a better American hope than, than TFO is looking good right now. Things can change, but uh, Monfils in this section, who's had a good year when healthy. So this is a, this is a good quarter. I think Djokovic gets through, but a, a lot of good challenges for Djokovic. Medvedev's quarter. Daniil Medvedev, the number three seed. So uh, this is kind of the first time that Medvedev really has his own quarter in a tournament of this magnitude. He has Karen Hatchinov, his countryman, Fabio Fanini, and Diego Schwartzman. Dark horse, I got to say. I mean, let's, let's go with Andy Murray. Why not? Murray is starting to put together some, some wins, some top 100 wins. He beat Berrettini. That's the biggest win to date. Uh, and and a rather impressive one at that. Murray's moving well. I don't I don't see anything. I I feel like Murray is his game. And I, I don't. I'm gonna just scratch the surface because when I go in depth on Murray, I want to do it right and I want to do it well um, on his comeback. But it kind of just looks like the same old Murray. It looks like he's just getting more and more consistent, uh, dropping less and less balls short in the court. Uh, getting more and more feel for his serve and his return. But stylistically, I don't feel like Murray has come back anything different than uh, than when he left the tour, which is interesting because I, I was kind of expecting that Murray was going to reimagine himself a little bit. Not the case from what I've seen. Upset alert, Karen Hatchinov. Uh, Hatchinov draws Taylor Fritz in the first round who uh, I believe could make the quarters on a court like this. Good quick surface for, for Fritz that doesn't really force him to... Um, helps his serve, rewards his quick offense and his ball striking. Where where Fritz lags behind top 20 players is mostly in his movement, which is getting better and better. But on a on a really quick surface... Those issues aren't uh, brought to the forefront as readily. Early popcorn, though, for sure. It's uh, Murray and Fanini. I'll be looking forward to seeing what he can do. But Medvedev won St. Petersburg, took last week off. Finally, well-deserved break for Janil Medvedev. But uh, he's still on fire, and I don't see that ending. We'll get into. We'll get a little bit more into that uh, later. 
Dominic Team is the number four seed. His quarter features Roberto Batista Agut, Matteo Berrettini, and Nicolas Basilashvili. RBA is generally really good on a on a court like this. He likes quick courts. He likes hard courts, and he really needs wins if he needs if he wants to stay in the uh, in the top eight for the uh, race to London. Matteo Berrettini is a guy who I think can be very dangerous. Another fast court player, big serve, big forehand, similar to Fritz. Berrettini's weakness is his movement. I don't think he's going anywhere, by the way. I think Matteo Berrettini is, is someone who's going to be on the up, and I think we'll be hearing more and more from, from him with his serve, his forehand, his touch, his slice backhand, volleying capabilities, his hands. Um, and then Basilashvili shouldn't be much of a factor. This court's too fast for Basilashvili, who uh, needs time to load up his power. My quarterfinal is a bit of an upset, but again, I, I think even though team is adapting his game, this is too far in the in in the speed spectrum for, for Dominic team. It's too fast. So I'm going with Berrettini. I think RBA could have a chance also in this quarter. Um, but I don't anticipate Dominic team getting out of here because it's just too fast for uh, for team and um, his returning. Should be pretty unnatural for him. And uh, probably won't be able to use his defense, his movement, and his power from the back of the court as much as he likes to. Dark horse is Riley Opelka. Um, Opelka, I know he's put together some impressive results. Let me get the, the specifics. He made the final, no, the semifinal in Tokyo. Lost to John Millman. Beat Taylor Fritz in Tokyo. Beat Simone, Gilles Simone in Tokyo. It's a guy who plays better from the from the baseline movement-wise than John Isner. His backhand is further ahead than John Isner's backhand at this stage in his career. The only thing that's behind John Isner is, is his forehand. But Opelka's another guy. I, I feel like he could do some damage, possibly indoor conditions. Or not indoor conditions. Shanghai's uh, um, outdoors. But... Um, Quiet conditions could reward um, a server like Opelka. No one really on upset alert. And early popcorn for this quarter is Basilishvili versus Benoit Pair. And uh, I can't really describe it. I'm just, what the heck is that match going to look like? I mean, it's drop shots galore versus big basher <laughs> from the baseline. Um, I just don't know. I think that this match is... I can't, I can't imagine it in my mind. So that's why it's early popcorn, because I'm curious to see what happens in that one. Um, let's go to the last quarter. Roger Federer, number one. Oh, that's a typo. Number two seed, Roger Federer. Uh, he has Sasha Zverev, Borna Chorich, and David Gafan. Dark Horse is Richard Gasquet. I know kind of burying the lead on this, as you see. I have an, an upset pick here. Uh, Dark Horse is Richard Gasquet. Impressed me a lot in New York with his comeback from injury. Uh, and needs kind of the speed, loves the speed of a court like this. So he can kind of benefit from um, from that benefit from court speed on his forehand. So he can do damage off both wings. On a slow court... His forehand is kind of too weak to be offensive 
which is what another reason why I think he he likes grass. Upset alert, Borna Chorich. He's been quite inconsistent, but he also draws Andre Rublev, and I would favor Rublev in that matchup. So Chorich, the seed, um, I think the number 12 seed here, I want to say. I'll check that for you guys, but uh, I have him on upset alert. He, yeah, he is the number 12 seed. In terms of Zverev versus Federer, I, I just feel like Zverev's going to go on a run at this time of year. And I think we're going to start to see consistently inconsistent Roger Federer this late in, in seasons. I don't know how high on the, you know, I don't, I don't know how high a priority it even is for, for Federer to really be winning titles here in, at tournaments like this. And I know he played well in Paris last year. He made the final, or, or it might have been a semifinal against Djokovic. Uh, but he played Djokovic in one of his best matches of the year last season, this time of year. But I don't think we're going to see... I think we'll see some good play from Federer. But I also feel like we're going to see inconsistent play from Federer at this time of year, consistently. Zverev, Zverev, this is this is going to be his time to, this is going to be his comeback time, and I think he's going to kind of go on a hot streak. The head-to-head is three-three. Zverev likes to play Roger Federer. He tends to play more offensively against Federer. Federer gives him a sense of urgency to keep the ball out of the middle of the court, to not let himself get bullied around, to serve bigger. For some reason, Federer inspires him. To, to do these things. He always plays more aggressively against Roger. So I don't know if I'm fully all in on this upset pick given given the, the speed of the court. I like Zverev, honestly, for slower courts um, and all the tools that Federer has to make Zverev uncomfortable uh, with especially maybe trying to bring Sasha to net. But... I'm still going to go with this. I think some wild things happen this time of year. We can't expect chalk. Um, and that brings me to the final weekend, where once again, I'm not expecting chalk. Medvedev over Djokovic. I, I just think the the momentum is with Daniil Medvedev right now, and I don't expect that to change. There's the final weekend. This is another matchup that Djokovic can struggle with, and on a court this on a court this quick, similar to Cincinnati, Medvedev can have a major advantage with um, with the serve return battle. If Medvedev serves as well as he's served, right now the confidence level for Medvedev is is at a point where it won't often be at any point in his career, but that's the nature of the run that Medvedev has been on, and I feel like. He can do so many things to hurt Djokovic on a on a quicker court, and uh, I think he'll be right there with Novak, and I think he can beat him. I don't expect Medvedev to uh, to um, in these kind of conditions. I don't expect Medvedev's momentum to be broken anytime soon. Eventually, it'll happen, but I think it'll it it might happen next year. To be quite honest, it might not happen this year. Zverev over Berrettini in the other semifinal, and Medvedev over Zverev in two sets. Okay, this went surprisingly long. I did not think it was going to go this long. Uh, but let us go now to the, the comments.
30 comments this week. The top one is from Sach, uh, Sachin Jory. Um, he asked, do you think that Medvedev is simply going through a hot streak right now and will go back to his normal form like a borderline top 10 player like Tsitsipas, or do you think he's for real? I think he's a real threat considering the on this hot stretch, it's better than anything Tsitsipas or Zverev have accomplished. I just look at upside potential development. Now, Tsitsipas got better really fast, and that's one reason why I, I always felt like, or... I was always confident that Tsitsipas was going to be an elite player eventually when he was on his run. I still feel that way. Tsitsipas will eventually get to an elite level competing for slams. Uh, but Medvedev's different. Because Medvedev, there's more to Medvedev's game that is completely and utterly unique. Tsitsipas has a great forehand. It's a big weapon. He's got a great mental. He's got a good serve. He's got good movement. But what is special about Tsitsipas, it's mainly his forehand, and he's got good competitiveness, but I don't know if that's special. His forehand is special. Medvedev has a lot more, there's a lot more to it. His movement, it's the best movement for a big man we've that I've ever seen. 6'5 and above, he's the best mover I've seen. I think he's better than Del Potra. I think he's better than Chilich. No one has moved that well. His consistency... It's on the level, especially on his backhand. It's at a Murray and Djokovic level. Doesn't miss. His cardio, again, elite big three level, you know, cardio. The serve is huge. The serve is bigger than Tsitsipas. And then, not to mention, he seems to figure things out and, and pull shots out of his you-know-what that I, you just... Who, who the heck knows? Like the volleying at the U.S. Open. So, um, I don't think Medvedev, I don't think it's just a hot streak. I think he's special. And it's not about the results. It's about the game. And how unique and different the skills that he's shown are. Next highest like comment is, is Goldwolf clinically unwell? I'm not a doctor. Sapsave asks, do you think Novak can get to year-end number one? For him to do that, I'm pretty sure he's going to have to win Shanghai, Paris, and World Tour Finals. Um, so Ra he thinks, personally, I think Rafa's going to get it, but I would love to hear how you think it'll go. I think Rafa's lead is is a little bit too immense. I think Djokovic will will be better down the stretch than Nadal. And I, I think Djokovic I think Djokovic and Medvedev are going to probably compete for the titles here down the stretch. And and Federer could as well, but I think it's mainly gonna be Djokovic, Med and Medvedev with Federer kind of the, the third guy competing for titles. Um based on Nadal's health. So right now, I mean, my money would be on on Nadal, just because of the lead he's built up. Is the new team strategy to attack the net going to make a difference for him in fast courts? For sure. It's going to make a difference for him in fast courts because uh, his him showing an ability to finish points, end points, it's it's going to be essential. The longer points go on fast courts, you know, the, the more... The, the more it favors Dominic Team's opponents. 
if he's not going to take advantage of the kind of short balls, the kind of attackable balls that that he can come to the net, that his opponents are going to take advantage of, if that makes any sense. Uh, teams just holding himself back. So it's it's also a court position thing. Um, and team is just learning how to team is learning how to finish points on fast courts. That's all. So so of course it'll help him. I wasn't very eloquent there with with that last statement, but got to move on. Is Federer's one-hander a weakness in this day and age? Uh, is the one-hander weaker than the two-hander on the ATP Tour? That's a question from Stephen Zhao. Um, no, because one-handers are... First of all, one-handers can hit it bigger. There's no two-handers who hit it as big as Team or Vavrinka or Gasquet. And generally, one-handers are also more versatile. There are no two-handers really with the versatility of, of a Federer. Um, I, I won't name any more, but like uh, in general, your slice is better. In general, your backhand volley is better. Your drop shot is better. So there are, there are weaknesses. Are two-handed returns generally better than one-handed returns? Definitely. But I don't think you can say definitively that two-handers are better than one-handers. Alex James, did the weak era really exist? Um, no, it didn't. OCS, nice and simple. Who is your favorite current player? I know you won't answer. Sad face. Um, let's go with Noah Rubin. Let's go with Noah Rubin. Ryan Locke, has Rafa's latest injury cost him a chance to be the world number one at the end of the year? You know, I, I haven't done the math, but... Um, as long as he puts together some decent results, I, I think his lead is that, you know, I think Djokovic, I think Medvedev is going to disrupt. At the end of the day, I think Medvedev is going to disrupt Djokovic's run at finishing year at number one is what I think is going to happen. Um, let's do one more. Why do you think Novak has been so dominant in Shanghai in his career with him winning four out of nine times? Is it simply due to the courts being well-suited to him, or is it other factors such as how many players being injured around this time of year? Would be great to hear. Also, love from Brooklyn. Thank you. The big BK. Love to see that. Um, Djokovic's dominance in Shanghai. First of all, he's very popular in China. I think he loves China. Federer is very popular in, in, in China as well. But Djokovic, Djokovic is popular in China, I feel. Um, but yeah, speed of the courts help, help him a lot because it accent they, they accentuate Djokovic's ability to create offense from the back of the court, off the ground. And it's, it's something where, like, if you look at a tournament like Monte Carlo on the other end of the spectrum, it's legitimately difficult and taxing for Djokovic to, to finish points with his forehand. Um, equally so his backhand, but mainly because, because the forehand is, is going to be his more potent weapon, even, even if it's less solid and comparatively weaker than, than the backhand. Um, if, if he's looking to do damage with the forehand, courts like Shanghai are, are going to help him make that happen. So that's, that's a reason why Djokovic has more success in Shanghai. Um... And that's it. The last thing I want to talk about is a comment from 
someone, Cedric, who thinks that I should change the way I do comment response um, and that I should choose the comments instead of reading the most liked ones. And I, I do wonder if that would be better because the current system rewards people who comment very early. And I, I think that sometimes there are comments that have no chance to get a lot of likes because they commented too late, but I read them and they're excellent comments. So I wonder what you guys think. The reason I do this is so I try to create a fair system, the most likes I read, but I wonder if it's not actually fair and I'm not actually even, it, it's a pretend fair system and it's not really fair because it rewards commenting early. So I'd like to know your thoughts on that and, uh, and uh, possibly changing the system. All right, that is that. Um, I look forward to seeing what transpires in Shanghai and I look forward to breaking it down next Monday. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.